Well, we're going to hear from God's Word, so let me uh, open up open up your Bibles to 1 John, and we're just going to read from 2 verse 3 through to 17, 14, 14. So 1 John, chapter 2, starting at verse 3, and this is the Word of God. We know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, uh, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father, and I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. G'day, everyone. Uh, I've got a few pictures up there on the screen and in your outlines. Um, So, uh, page six. Did you bring it from yesterday? I've got two of my Ruth and mine that you can have if you're sort of, you know, absolutely desperate. Um, So what I want you to do is have a look at those pictures and the quotes and try to line up, just draw a line, you know, you know, with your wife, you know, it can be a good bonding, you know, marriage type thing. Uh, Try to work out which quote belongs to which picture uh, and who is the picture of. So there you go, a little bit of trivia as you start the day. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a bit of reveal. So who's this one? Ray Romano. Everyone loves Raymond. And the quote? Yeah, I have the show because I'm insecure. It's my insecurity that makes me want to be a comic, that makes me need the audience. Oh, all right. Uh, what quote goes with this lady? Really, really, really. It's, it's a giveaway, isn't it? I really, really, really... I feel insecure. Okay, yeah, Taylor Swift. Um, always been really, really aware of my insecurities. Really, really, really aware. Uh, <laughs> never developed that thick skin that keeps you from letting things get to you. Okay. Yeah, Ben Affleck. Yeah, always described as cocksure with a swagger. That bears no resemblance to who I feel like inside. I feel plagued by insecurity. Okay, did you know who this is? It's not actually Britney Spears. Jessica Simpson. So, Audrey. So, well, yep. So, Jessica Simpson. Yeah, well, they all look the same. Okay. And uh, her quote, I have this fear of talking to people. I'm worried they won't like me. I've always had that insecurity. You can see what word I plugged into Google, you know, quotes to uh, work this out. Uh, and this one? 
Anger, yeah, anger is... So, sorry, this is Naomi Campbell's supermodel. Anger is a manifestation of a deeper issue, and that, for me, is based on insecurity, self-esteem, and loneliness, which leaves one more... <laughs> was, that the, was that what I ended? Whinging celebrities. No, that was a much bigger category. Yeah. I think my big... This is Madonna. I think my biggest flaw is my insecurity. That's, that's a really interesting sentence, isn't it? I think my biggest flaw is my insecurity. I'm terribly insecure. I'm plagued with insecurities 24-7. And you think, are you serious? Is this the same Madonna that I grew up, you know, I've grown up seeing on telly and all that sort of stuff? Uh, so um, quite, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? All these beautiful, talented, funny people, creative people, the... The sort, of, the sort of people, he, he's one of the funny ones, right? Uh, the sort of people that make the rest of us feel insecure and inadequate. Right? And yet, they themselves are plagued by doubt, loneliness and insecurity. And the bottom line is, most people on the planet feel deep sense of insecurity, inadequacy. Um, and those feelings come from how we view ourselves and how we think other people perceive us, uh, our value, our talents, our appearance. And those sort of things are not just, they don't just belong to the non-Christian world. We feel them uh, in Christianity, even in ministry. Uh, my experience is that many, if not most, ministers and their wives struggle with feelings of insecurity and inadequacy uh, about their ministry, especially if church isn't growing as fast as you'd like it to, or especially if you look at the church next door and you think, wow, you know, they're, they're growing, we're not growing as fast, what's going on there? But it doesn't have to be, you, you can be still part of a thriving, growing ministry and still feel deep sense of insecurity and inadequacy and I think it's partly the character of ministry is that there are always things that are going wrong, always conflicts, always situations where you feel if I had have done this differently or said it differently or if only I could just stretch myself a little bit more. And, and there's, it's always this unending stuff that we could do. Uh, there's often a sense of failure uh, in the mix. And my experience is that these feelings of insecurity and inadequacy um, is the experience of most people when it comes to relationship with God. And again, even amongst Christians, deep uncertainties about whether God could love me and whether God could accept me. But this letter from 1 John is written specifically into that sort of situation. It's written into a context of insecurities and concerns about, am I really part of God's people? Uh, have, in following Jesus, have I taken the right path? Um, so yesterday I asked the question, what is John's purpose in writing? Uh, and you can tell me, what, what's John's purpose in writing? What was the first one? Fellowship, yeah, in chapter 1, verse 3. So we're in 1 John, chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, we proclaim to him what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. 
And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then the second purpose, the very next verse, we write this to make our joy complete. Uh, and and, And so yesterday we explored that whole idea of joyful fellowship and our access to that and the problem of sin and how we deal with the problem of sin. But there is another purpose to this letter Um, Any ideas? What other word do you reckon might sort of slot down? Assurance Assurance is is not exactly the word I had, but it's it's pretty close. Have another crack. You know, what's another word like assurance? Confidence, yeah. So anyone know where you'd go to find that in 1 John? Confidence. 1 John 2. You you can actually pick any chapter, basically. But um, come over to... uh, So the word confidence comes up a lot. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Uh, Chapter 3. Dear friends, verse 21. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Chapter 4, verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And then the big one is chapter 5, verse 13, where it's a bit of a summary statement. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's all about assurance. I want you to know you have eternal life. And then verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and so on. So one of John's key purposes is to give confidence to Christians who are feeling insecure uh, and feeling, the poss- feeling doubts. Um, those are the things that John is addressing, I-, I think primarily in this letter. Fellowship, joy, and confidence. Now today... We're looking at chapter 2, verses 3 to 14. So just turn over there. Because it begins with how we can be confident. Um, How we can be confident. Chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if... So how do we know we've come to know God? We know we have come to know him... If we keep his commands. Now, what do you think when you hear that verse? That's not how I wanted the verse to end. Don't you reckon? Like, it's troubled, troubled me, that verse. Um, you think, all right, here's a letter about confidence. It's going to stir my confidence. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. And I feel like, oh, man. That, do, do, you, do you guys feel that? Does that buoy your confidence or does that sort of give you a bit of a shake to your confidence? So here's the thing, like, because it sounds like Old Testament religion of being under the law. This was the whole problem in the Old Testament. They were under the law. They had the law. They knew the law was good, but they always lived with that lack of confidence uh, and a feeling like we just, have we fulfilled the requirements of the law I don't reckon on first reading, chapter 2, verse 3, sounds like a basis for confidence. So we're going to have to work hard to actually, because it is, but we're going to have to wrestle with the passage a bit. So let's do that. 
Um, firstly, I just want to revise some of what we did yesterday. Um, and I think, uh, what is it, page seven, you've got a couple of grids. Can you see that on page seven of your outline? So remember we talked through these false claims. Uh, I have fellowship with God, but the counter evidence, walking in darkness. And the verdict is you're a liar, not walking by the truth. Claim two, I'm without sin. Counter evidence, well, it's just uh, self-evident, you're a sinner, and just ask your wife and she'll be able to tell you that. Uh, so it doesn't say that in 1 John. Uh, and the verdict, self-deceived, the truth is not in you. Claim three, I have not sinned. Counter evidence is sin. And the verdict is, verdict uh, making God out to be a liar, God's word is not in you. Right, so, and what John is doing, he's writing a letter to give confidence to God's people, but part of him doing that is stripping away false reasons for confidence uh, or false claims to know God. Right? So the person who claims confidence in their relationship with God on the basis of denying or minimising sin is self-deceived. Uh, they do not know the truth. They are not walking in the light. Right? That's not the basis for confidence in relationship with God. The basis for confidence, as we saw yesterday, is the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So what we do is we confess our sins and he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So... Confidence in relationship with God doesn't come from the claim to be without sin or minimising sin, but confessing sin. But have a look at chapter 2, verse 4. There's another list of false claims. Um, so claim 1, chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar and the truth is not in that person. So just to run it through again, claim I know God, or it could be I know Jesus. It's sort of a little bit ambiguous. Counter evidence, not doing what Jesus commands. And the verdict, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. Or come down to verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So this one doesn't quite fit the sort of categories I've got here, but claim, the claim, I live in God or I live in Jesus, the evidence required is walking as Jesus walked. And I suppose the verdict is subject to that evidence. And the third claim in verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. So the claim, I am in the light, and I think these are all synonymous sort of claims. I know God, I live in God, I'm in the light. The counter evidence, hating your brother or sister. The verdict, you're still in the darkness. Okay, so he's clear, John's clearing away these false claims to relationship with God, um, these false bases for confidence in relationship with God. Uh, and, and as I read these verses, um, I, I, I came from a civil engineering background, so I, 
I was thinking Venn diagrams. So let me show you how it works for me. Does anyone else just naturally think in that sort of way? Spreadsheets? No, I don't, actually. Uh, all right, so let me um, show you how I've sort of summarised it. So knowing God, and you can see the little circles on your outline, knowing God and the claim to know God. Oh, yeah, what page are we on now? Five. five page five. Knowing God, obeying Jesus' commands and loving one another. And what John is saying is that those three things, which we often think of in isolation to one another, they are, in fact, a package deal. Oh, hey, how good was that? Let me do it again because, oh, no, it's not working. Not letting me do it. <laughs> but uh, it's lovely in our church because every time I bring one of my Venn diagrams out, everyone, there's this collective, oh, you know, this sort of wonder when people see the reveal. Uh, <laughs> So it's quite satisfying, really. Um, <laughs> or a groan. <laughs> no, I think it's wonder. <laughs> All right. So if you know God, if you know God, then you will obey Jesus' commands and you will love one another. Uh, John's saying you can't think of those things in isolation from one another. One another. They are a package Deal. You need to hold on to all three things at the same time. Now, remember, yesterday I was proposing that the context of, of this letter is the Apostle John, the Apostle to the Jews, is writing to fellow Jewish Christians, people who are Jewish, who have come to recognise Jesus as the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, but on their staking their ground on Jesus as the Messiah... They are, they are feeling the backlash from their fellow Jews. They are feeling the exclusion. Uh, the, the accusation is that they have walked away from the faith of Israel. They've walked away from true Judaism. They've walked away from God. They've walked away from the light. And as you read you know, the Gospels and Acts, you see that the synagogue doors were being shut to the Christians purely, purely because they were confessing that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, and they were being shut out from the life of Israel. And to this group of insecure Christians, John writes to give them confidence, assurance. You are walking in the light. You have entered the new covenant experience. If you believe in Jesus, obey his commands, and love your brothers and sisters, then you demonstrate that you know God and that you are walking in the light. Um, and I... As I've been reading one, John, I'd be interested, you know, some of you can bounce this around with me later, um, but I wonder whether part of our problem, you know how we read one, John, and it gives us a bit of a crisis of confidence uh, and it feels like it undermines our assurance even though it's meant to buoy our confidence. I wonder whether it's partly because we read it so individualistically and we apply it so individualistically. Uh, and so that is, we read a command about, you know, loving your brothers and sisters or hating your brothers and sisters, and we examine ourselves, um, and if we've got a tender conscience, we do see faults in ourselves, and we go, am I, am I really walking in the light? Whereas I wonder whether 1 John is meant to be read more as a community that are feeling excluded and alienated, that when you look at this community, 
you actually see the evidence of God at work in us in the love we have for one another. You know, we've come to embrace Jesus as the Messiah and look at the evidence of that being the truth by the way we love one another. And so the sh- I, I, I wonder whether a shift away from reading John, 1 John individualistically to actually seeing it as part, being part of the people of God uh, helps us to gain confidence from reading it rather than that, that sense of individual guilt because I know I don't do all this sort of stuff completely. Anyway, it's just, just a thought. So, so the proposal is John's writing to Jewish Christians who are feeling isolated and excluded uh, and he's, he, he's wanting to give them confidence. This is happening amongst you. You are walking in the light but then that's in contrast to their fellow Jews, right? Their fellow Jews who, uh, I think it's given up on listening to me here. And, oh, there we go. So their fellow Jews who make the claim, we know God. You're all excited about how this is, what's going to happen here, aren't you? Okay. <laughs> Some of you. Okay. <laughs> all right. So they're making the claim, we know God and you don't. Um, We know God, but when you look at the evidence, uh, they're not obeying Jesus' commands. They're not recognising Jesus as the Messiah. They're actually rejecting Jesus. And uh, instead of loving one another... They debate over who is my name. They debate over the question of love to minimise the requirement of love. And um, those who are following Jesus as the Messiah, they are they are hating them. They are excluding them from the synagogue. They are shutting them out of the life of Israel. Uh, and, and John is saying, the, your fellow Jews who are accusing you of being, you know, who, of denying the true faith of Israel. In fact, they are the ones who are still in the darkness because they claim to know God and yet by not recognising Jesus as the Messiah, by not obeying his commands and by not loving their brothers and sisters, they demonstrate that they are still in the darkness. Now, before we sort of think about these things for ourselves, I want you to come with me to verses 7 and 8 and the command... Verse 7, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I want you to take a moment um, just with the person next to you. In what way is, what, what do you reckon is the command? In what way is it an old command? And in what way is it a new command? Right, try to make sense of those two verses. Alrighty. What do you reckon? What's the, you had enough time? Okay, what do you reckon is the command that he's, um, he's writing with? What's the command? 
Love, yeah. Love really encapsulates it. Yeah, so that's, that's quite broad. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good uh, summary of it. Any, anyone want to nuance that at all? Yeah, love your neighbour as yourself. Or, or lo- love one another. Love one another is the big phrase that just uh, keeps rolling through again and again and again. So in what way is that an old command? Ten Commandments, yeah, yeah. Or Leviticus 19, love your neighbour as yourself. So, you know, here's the Jewish people, uh, Moses, God through Moses gives them hundreds of commands, but they start recognising as they wrestle with the commands that love is at the heart of the whole thing. The astute Jew, even in Jesus' day, they recognise that love God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself really encapsulated the whole thing. It was all about love. Um, so it's, 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 it's an old command in, in that way. Did anyone have any other thoughts on the old command? Okay, so in what way is it a new command? Uh, do it as Jesus did it? Yeah? Yeah, I reckon that's, that's a good part of it. And, and he says that doesn't he? Verse 8, I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So it's a new command because now we actually start to see it truly lived out in a way that we haven't before. There's something new about it because in the Old Testament, the people of God never lived lives of love like the law Set out to achieve, set out to sort of, um, it didn't set out to achieve it, but to, uh, gave the shape of what a life of love looked like. You, when Jesus comes on the scene, he encapsulates it. Yeah. Any other ideas of how it's a new command? That language that you have heard echoes 1 1 that we have heard. Because of the letter. Yeah. 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 And I think new covenant is the right the right way of thinking. Like you read 1 John and you keep seeing new covenant imagery and ideas. It's just dripping uh, with it throughout the whole letter. Um, and I think there's a newness. Like Jesus says it on the night before he died, doesn't he? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Um, and the new covenant of Jeremiah 31, um, you can turn up there if you want to, but um, you know, 600 years before the coming of Jesus, the people of Israel had this really good law, but the problem with the law was not the law, it was the hearts of the people. It was just, it was incapable of making the people do it. And so God said, I'm going I'm to have a new covenant. Um, won't be like the old covenant when I took them by the hand because they broke my covenant. Verse 33, this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time. I'll put my law in their minds Write it on their hearts. I'll be their people, and they'll be. My, I'll be their God. They'll be my people. What does it say then? No longer will a man teach his neighbour, know the Lord. They'll all know me, from the greatest of them to the least, because I'll forgive their sins and remember their wickedness no more. Something like that. Um, so, I, the newness of the new covenant is not that it's radically different in its focus. It's still about love, but there's now an empowering to actually see it at work in the life of God's people in a way that it hasn't in the past. 
Um, and that empowering comes as Jesus comes, provides complete purification for sins, rises again, pours out his Holy Spirit into our lives to empower us so that we want to live lives of love and, and in fact, we can. There is a reality that we can live lives of love. And so not only is this truth seen in Jesus, verse 8, but this truth is now seen in us. The new covenant people, there is genuine evidence of God's work in our lives and we should be able to see it. We look around and we say, wow, God really is doing his new covenant work here amongst us. Um, and I reckon that's why it's so good to share these stories from, of one another. It's great to hear stories of people coming to know Christ, because that's the work of the new covenant. But it's great also to hear stories of people where you see the love of the transformation of God's people so that they love and so that they obey Jesus. And even if it has drastic consequences, like, you know, Chris's lady losing a job or something like that, I can't remember exactly the circumstances, but we keep, it's lovely to keep seeing real evidence of God at work changing his people because that's what we expect the new covenant ministry will be like. Um, and some, one of our dangers is we can, I think we get stuck on the failures of ministry um, Sometimes, because we feel the griefs really acutely, don't we? You know, when, when there's a conflict or when someone turns away or uh, when, you know, when something blows up. I think we really take those things to heart and dwell on them and we can lose sight of so much good stuff that God is doing. And I reckon every now and then we need to step back and, and give thanks for the great work that God is doing amongst us. This is a powerful gospel that not only purifies the sins of people, but changes the hearts of people. And there ought to be genuine evidence and we ought to be encouraged when we see that. Okay, so let me sort of uh, do a little bit of a uh, summary. Knowing God, you're ready to, ready to gasp. Ah, gee, this is difficult. All right, obeying Jesus' commands and click, click, click. Loving one another and let's try to get the reveal happening. It's wanting to resist the, oh, here we go. And then, whew, right? That's what it is to be in the light uh, when those things come together. They're not optional extras. It's not like, you know, you buy a car and you add on, you know, rough pro- rust proofing or a sunroof or whatever it is. No, it's a package deal. This is the character uh, of, the, of the Christian life, knowing God, obeying Jesus' commands, loving one another. Now, come back to verse 3. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Um, it, it, it would be so easy to misunderstand that verse, wouldn't it? I could teach that verse here in a way that, made you feel insecure and guilty uh, and you'd go away feeling like, oh, am I really a Christian? I, I probably wouldn't push you that far because, you know, you sort of got uh, God's assurance and all that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I could ask the question, how long, how long since you prayed through your, um, 
the, the role of members at your church? You know, do you really love your people? Why, aren't you pr- why, why weren't you down at the beach praying for the pe- through the role of your church this morning? Right? Uh, don't you love your people? And, and you, you've all heard sermons like that, yeah? Uh, where you sort of, where it's sort of induced, it's so easy to make ministers feel guilty. Uh, and it's interesting, when I preach stuff at church that makes people feel guilty, there will be some people who come up and say, oh, good on you, Dave, you know, you really got me today, and oh, and they spur me on, they, they love it, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily a healthy thing to really be loving the sermons that make you feel guilty. Anyway, so we'll, I'll work on that with my congregation. Uh, but just on this passage, I reckon we've got to be careful not to distort John's purpose. Right? John is writing this letter not to produce guilt, insecurity and uncertainty. He is writing to give us confidence, assurance, certainty. So look at the next verses and you, you get the feel. Verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one beautiful isn't it it's he's writing from the position of stirring confidence in people who are members of the new covenant who have stepped into the light um this insecure persecuted minority he wants to stir them to confidence just look around god is doing his new covenant work even here amongst you and we ought to do the same in our churches actually see that god is doing his powerful new covenant ministry in our midst, uh, as we see people come to faith in Jesus and obey his commands and love one another. God, our Father, we do thank you so much for the coming of Jesus, uh, that the light has dawned uh, into this dark world in which we live. Uh, And Father, we thank you that the light dawning brings a purification for sins And that as we come to recognise Jesus as the Christ, so we step into the light. And Father, we thank you that you have poured out your spirit uh, to transform us uh, and to transform our brothers and sisters and those in our churches. And Father, we pray that you will do that work amongst us. We pray that you'll keep on spurring us to action. But we also pray that you will give us confidence as we see that work amongst us and just genuine evidence of your people loving one another. And Father, we pray that we will lead in that way. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.